Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. We are here with Eric Diaz. You remember the name. Eric is son of Manny Diaz, coach of Alex Mickelson, Lerner Tan, uh, and right now has his own thing called Tier 1 Performance out in the Irvine area. Uh, welcome to the show, Eric. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. It's great to be on. Great to be on. <laughs> so I, I interviewed your dad probably about two months ago. Um, oh. And I was, you know, we, we were poking fun about him redshirting Ethan Quinn, you know, not choosing, choosing not to play Ethan Quinn. And later, you know, he wins NCAAs the next year. It was kind of like, yeah, what were you yeah. thinking, right? <laughs> uh, um, it, yeah, one of those but, tough ones. Oh yeah, it was kind of like, did you think he wasn't ready? Was he? Did he think he wasn't ready? Like, you know, he probably could have won NCAAs twice, uh, that kind of thing. But you, you obviously came from good ten, tennis pedigree. So I, I guess the first obvious question was, was what was it like growing up uh, with your dad being Manny? You know, because I, it's it's hard not to take work home, right? Let's just put it that yeah. way. Yeah. You're a tennis coach and a, and a child of a tennis dad. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think anybody that's been in tennis for a long time knows it's kind of uh, of a lifestyle a little bit. You know, there's definitely being the tennis coach and kind of, you know, working toward things. But it's also, I, I don't know, the sport takes so much of you that sometimes, you know, it, it just feels like, you know, it's second nature. It's kind of a part of it. Um, so, I mean, growing up in Athens, growing up around Dan Miguel Complex was, was always a treat. Uh, that was back when NCAAs were kind of always hosted in Athens. So I got to watch, you know, all the college greats. I grew up watching the Bryan brothers get to, you know, sadly then they were kind of pegging some of our guys in doubles matches. But, uh, you know, it was really cool being able to sit courtside, watch those guys, and then, you know, be able to watch them on TV a little bit later. Uh, really cool, really cool experience growing up. Now, um from a junior career, did your dad coach you your whole career or did he hire private coaches to sort of teach you technique? Because I know, you know, coaching at a, a program like UGA, it is very yeah. demanding. And sometimes the children of the tennis coach lose out to the actual players and the people who are paying. So did yeah. he coach you? How was that? You know, he coached me. I think he, he tried to coach me. Um, but at the same time, he also didn't want to put too much pressure on me to like, you know, really play tennis and go in. So I, he kind of let it be my own thing. Uh, I started, I actually went to Athens Country Club, great little spot uh, on the outside of Athens. Alan Miller was uh, the main coach there. So he helped me out a lot. He actually, he was on my dad's first, you know, assistant coaching team where they won a national title. Uh, I think he paired with Ola, who now obviously has been with USGA for a while, I think they played doubles, ah. and I think I think they won a doubles title as well. So I think Alan was a part of the first team championship, and then he was also, you know, he won a doubles title title there too. I think he might have won two. Um, so I spent a lot okay. of time around him, which was also it was really cool. You know, it was a guy who was a part of the Georgia tennis family. 
um, Athens is really tight knit like that. And so it's, uh, it's special to be a part of that family, both, uh, I guess through blood and through, uh, you know, the alumni. It's cool. Now, now let me ask you, um, did you ever consider going anywhere else? Right. Obviously successful junior career, one of the top players in the nation, tons of options. Um, you know, it could be like, you know, there's always sort of the, oh, his dad's going to give him a scholarship, right? You saw with Ben Shelton, you know, Brian Shelton, uh, yeah. obviously he's going like, to look out for his kid. But did you ever aspire to, like, go to another top program or UCLA or Texas or Florida? Uh, I think growing up, you know, because I got to see all those teams play. Um, you know, I remember in 1999, I, I looked up this, this guy who he played number one for UCLA. I don't know. This guy showed up. I'm a little kid, and he had half of his head was blue, and the other half was gold. And you know, UCLA was firing it up; they were really good at the time. I remember that was my dad's first uh, national title in '99. Uh, and you know, ever since then, I really, you know, I looked up to the guys. Uh, every now and then, I got to sneak onto a little travel uh, travel trip, and you know, I got to kind of see what it was like. But I mean, for me, it was always uh, it was always Georgia. Um, I thought Athens was a special place, you know, getting to see the crowds that, that they get there and being able to kind of just see the atmosphere of everybody caring about each other. Um, you know, it was cool looking at, at other teams. You know, the Bryan brothers had the cool Reebok shoes, you know, the UCLA guy with the different hair. But at the end of the day, it was uh, it was always the dogs. It was always Georgia. So I was really lucky when I got to be a part of that team and I got to kind of wear the G that, you know, through my junior years. I was always wearing it, you know, but I guess it was a little bit different when you're actually, uh, you know, on the team and, and representing. I think it's a different feeling. Yeah. So if you didn't go into tennis, what else would you be doing? Like, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm obviously coaching now, but I didn't go right into coaching. I went to work uh, into pharmaceuticals, like marketing, sales, cool. um, yeah. you know, and finance. Um, so it's always, I always find it interesting to say if I wasn't coaching, I got my degree. I would be doing this. Yeah. You know, if I was a little bit more prone, I think, to, to loving schoolwork and loving studying, you know, everybody's <laughs> always told me that uh, I would make a pretty good lawyer uh, just because I'm a <laughs> bit of a contrarian. I like to argue. Uh, I like to challenge everybody that's kind of around me. Um, so I'm always looking for a good argument. So I'll go with that. Everybody's always told me, you know, maybe you should have been a lawyer. You argue a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, well, I'm sure I'm sure your tennis parents, right? The parents of the academy probably don't like that one, right? They like to be in control. <laughs> they have the last say and you know, being a contrarian. They, a lot of the time they do. A lot of the time they do. Yeah. So you're so, sort of like stepping so out, right? Out of the shadow. Uh, and you're now on the West Coast, out there in the Irvine sort of area uh, with tier one performance. Uh, and quite honestly, making your own name. I know you've had opportunity to coach Alec Mickelson uh, as well as, um, you know, Lerner, Tan, who are both like doing real well, both like main draw this year, U.S. Open. Tell me about uh, the, the process of moving way west. Yeah. Uh, and starting your own thing. Well, you know, it kind of started with, you know, I, I, I took that leap and I moved away from home for, you know, the first time because obviously being born and raised and going to school at UGA. Um, I took my first chance and I went to Boise State and I worked under Greg Patton for a year, um, who I'd heard great things about. And, you know, all were true. He's a great guy. I thought it was a fantastic experience. Uh, so I did that for a year. And then over the summer, um, the UGA swim coach's son that I kind of grew up with, he was in Newport. And so I kind of came to visit. And then, you know, 
all of a sudden the opportunity to be coaching out here, you know, came about and, you know, I, I did my due diligence a little bit, you know, I looked at the old tennis recruiting pages and, you know, I'm looking at all the talent over the last like 20 years. And, you know, statistically you look at the list and you're like, okay, you know, if I'm, if I'm in this area and I, I give myself, you know, the right opportunities and I, I, you know, learn how to coach properly, I, you know, I feel like I've had some pretty good experience from some good mentors. Um, you know, then I, I kind of thought, you know, okay, maybe I can kind of control my own destiny out here a little bit. Um, and, you know, over time, it's taken a lot, but, you know, over time, I, I feel like I did give myself some pretty decent opportunities. So when you first laid eyes on Mickelson, how old yeah. was he? He was 12. He was 12. Uh, he was coming out to some point plays. It was the first place I kind of rented courts. It was this old rundown, beat up club. Uh, but beautiful. There were some trees there. You know, nobody wanted it. The courts were kind of run down, and everyone's like, "Oh no, that you know, nothing there." And I was like, "I'll take it." Uh, <laughs> so you know, it it gave me space. It gave me courts. It gave me the ability to kind of try and market. I made things cheap so I could get a lot of kids out there and and try and get a competitive environment going. Um, and luckily, you know, had a had a good bit of talent out there where you know the kids kind of attracted the kids, and I was this young coach, twenty three, twenty four, and. You know, over time, you know, people started to kind of gain trust and, and realize, you know, this guy isn't that bad. Uh, so, so, you know, over time, it kind of, you know, worked in my favor and, and you know, everything kind of worked out. I eventually switched clubs to a nicer one and, you know, you, you move up, you earn your stripes. Now, when you saw him, did you initially see, you know, like super talent? Because he, he, he won our 80K this summer. And, you know, it was full of Steve Johnson, Sue Kwong, it was Ethan Quinn, it was other names, right? Uh, Katie Shakuri. Yeah. And Alex yeah. kind of like, okay, you know, he got the USTA wild card. He's a young kid. You know what I mean? Like sort of under the radar. Uh, and then he wins the, wins the whole tournament and finals Newport uh, yeah. on the grass like the week later. So did you see it right away? Was he... Was he like a typical kind of twelve-year-old throwing his racket, having tantrums, or was what? What was he like at twelve? Uh, Alex was always throwing tantrums. Um, but <laughs> but uh, you know, when he was twelve, uh, he was good. Um, but you know, I'll be honest, there were a handful of kids out there that you know, Kyle Kang, who's had a lot of success. I saw him, uh, Sebastian Gorsny, who Alex won doubles with. Uh, there were a handful of others, and I mean, Alex, they were he was he was good. Um, if I thought that he would be this good, you know, at this point, I think I'd probably, you know, I, I, I don't think I saw that, but, um, you know, you definitely see that this kid's capable of playing at a pretty good level while he's young. And then, you know, as the years kind of go, and then as you sort of see him and his personality kind of develop, you kind of recognize, you know, this, you know, this isn't too normal of a, of a 16, 17, 18 year old kid. And then, you know, sure enough, eventually the results followed which was pretty fun to watch yeah i mean i i felt it was interesting because he was here with like his friend yeah you know not even yeah. like a coach a trainer yeah. a physio nothing it was like him and his homeboy yeah, and yeah yeah he didn't look like he played tennis you know what i mean so yeah um, yeah, yeah. yeah it was um, like it was interesting to show up without sure. a, you know competing against guys who are here with like coaching that they're paying six figure salaries and sure who are scouting right and for him to kind of move through the draw honestly I mean, you know, maybe he likes split sets once. Um, yeah. um, it, was, it was actually really interesting. He's, a, he's an extremely competitive kid. 
And so, you know, throughout the last few years, kind of as, as we've traveled to some events and as he's gone to some like by himself, you know, the whole understanding is, okay, how well do you really understand, you know, your day-to-day process? How well are you able to, and, you know, nowadays, you know, with challengers, everything you can stream, you can watch. So, you know, both myself and, you know, Jay, the other, the other coach that's here and helping him out, um, you know, we, we watch, we communicate, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it was one of those big decisions. Okay. Are you going to go to college or are you going to go pro? And he's kind of weighing those two things. And it's, you know, if you, you really think you want to be a pro show me. Um, and so it's one of those things, luckily when he's young, you know, you have the, you know, it's kind of freedom. If he loses some matches, okay. You're young. If you know, you win some matches. Okay, great. You're young. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, we really kind of wanted to see, you know, what he's able to do sort of on his own. How well can he manage emotionally? How well can he, you know, create some game plans and stick to his day-to-day routines? Um, and he, I would say he, he passed. And um, did he officially turn pro? He officially turned pro, yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. I know UGA was going to be where he was going. I know he was undecided this summer, but UJ was going to, was there a little bit of an inside man kind of happening here, right? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'll definitely say, I think he had some exposure to hearing about, you know, some, some Georgia greatness. I think that for sure. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll say it was his decision. Ultimately, I, I tried to not put too much pressure or expectation on where he was going to go. Um, you know, I think Georgia has a lot to offer. So I think, you know, had he gone that route, I think it would be, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can really fail if, you know, you're going and you're trying to be a tennis player and that's a place yeah. you choose. I think it's a it's a pretty good place. Now tell us about Lerner Tan. I, I'll admit it's a player that I hadn't had the opportunity to watch too much. I had not uh, watched him in the Challengers at all. But was he also sort of in the program at a young age or did he just sort of uh, come later on? My partner actually, you know, kind of helped him when he was young because Jay Levitt used to be incorporated at Carson, which was kind of where Lerner kind of had his, you know, beginnings. He was a little bit more, I guess I'll say, you know, his talent was Federation spotted, I guess you could say, as to where Alex was kind of, you know, the guy on the on the outside, a little figuring his own way. Lerner was kind of the guy that that everybody kind of thought was, you know, the guy. Right. And so, you know, it's been it's been fun kind of watching him, you know, see his transition, you know, from juniors to now, you know, kind of becoming, you know, the top of juniors, you know, winning Kalamazoo the last two years and you know his transition. Um, it's been fun to see. So, you know, I've seen a lot of him out of the last, uh, you know, two and a half to, to three years. So it's been uh, it's definitely been a different transition. I feel like, you know, it's a little bit fire and ice there. Uh, you know, Alex is the the fiery one screaming a good bit, and Lerner is the the silent killer. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, they're definitely different, which I think you know is is pretty refreshing, and it's kind of cool to see them both have success in their own accord. Yeah. So tell us about Tier One then. So how many courts? Obviously, you grew up. I mean, like you know, I started in the park years yeah. ago, right in Chicago parks, right, and now I got twenty seven courts. But tell us about Tier One performance now. Where are you? How many courts do you now have? How many kids are you serving? Yeah, um, we're in Newport Beach right now, uh, which is which is great. Weather's nice. Um, we have right now we're running our program out of five, only five courts. Uh, it's not that big. You know, we take a, a lot of pride in just kind of being individually, you know, development based. 
I feel like if you're in our program, you're going to have, you know, a good bit of, of time from the coaches. You're probably going to have a chance to hit with some of the top guys. Um, we try to be really selective with who we kind of have. Just because in Southern California, it's really difficult to, you know, get your hands on a ton of courts. There's so many people in tennis. There's only a few clubs now, you know, pickleball, even of our club right now, you know, pickleball is booming. You know, so many people are playing. It's keeping clubs alive, which, you know, I think is nice. But at the same time, I, I would love to see, you know, a lot of tennis courts and tennis opportunity. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, man, pickleball is definitely taking over. Uh, you see clubs getting rid of one court, two courts, and they, they think that it's not that big of an impact. Um, but, I mean, two courts really makes a difference in terms of being able to spread kids out, get them more time, Absolutely. get more balls, and more balls yeah. put me in the time. But, it's you know, I think in tennis, if we want to fight them off, we've got to market better and we've got to grow. Right. Yeah. They're in this growth sort of stage and we're sort yeah. of stagnant, you know, so it's not like yeah. we're not leaving the club with a lot of choices other right. than to diversify. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, For sure. So 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 let me ask you this. So you've obviously had two kids that are going on. Uh, what do you tell that next parent whose kids 14? Right. May get to see learner Alex come to the academy. And number one, they want to homeschool. Right, or ask yeah. you whether or not they should homeschool, or B, you know, whether or not they should choose to go to college or, you know, turn pro. How are you advising parents? Because I get the question all the time: Should we homeschool? Right? Should we do whatever? And I always, you know, the answer is always it depends. Yeah. Uh, but what would be your answer in terms of homeschooling uh, to train? Well, look, I, I, de I definitely think that if your your primary goal is to be a tennis player, and I think, you know, if you're if you're an athlete and that's kind of what you want to do, I think there's a lot of benefit in homeschooling um, just because, you know, it enables you to travel. You know, if I get to the ITF level, you know, I need to I need to be able to travel. Those tournaments start on Monday and they go through Friday. So, you know, if I'm if I'm in a regular school, if I'm a high school kid, you know, that's a pretty difficult life for me to be able to justify or or to, you know, be able to get my excused absences and stuff like that. Um, you know, we're definitely big, you know, if you show me a 14 and under kid, and I feel like I had pretty good experience in this just because I saw a lot of kids from the age of 12 to 14, you know, I, I got to see an entire kind of generation out of SoCal and a lot of them were pretty good. You know, the one thing I think, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, I think the primary thing kind of for level Obviously, it matters how you're doing it, but I think the primary thing is the repetition. You know, I saw a ton of kids where they had a bunch of practices, and I knew that that kid probably, you know, had 30%, 40% more time than some of the other kids. And, you know, sure enough, that kid is more competent at keeping the ball in play. You know, they're able, you know, they've just seen and touched more balls. So, you know, they're going to make more balls. Um, I think it's a balance. I think it really depends on the parents. I think it really depends on the kid. Um, and I think it depends on the environment that they'll be in if they are going to be homeschooled. Um, you know, I will say that, you know, we've had a handful of kids kind of switch from high school to homeschooled and they're in our program. But I feel like there's still strong social aspects in our program. You know, all the boys are tight. They compete a lot. They, you know, I feel like they get their social, you know, they go to lunch. Um, and just kind of our standards are really high. I think this past year we had five kids that graduated that all went to Ivy's. So, you know, it's 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 totally possible whether you're homeschooled or whether you're in school, I think, to, you know, kind of pursue academic excellence. I think, you know, just because you're 
doing one thing and not the other, I don't think that that necessarily, you know, takes that away from you. I think tennis can open a ton of doors. And I think I kind of, you know, we've kind of seen that in the last few years. I've seen a lot more tennis kids choosing Ivy ever since 2020, I feel. I feel like the Ivies yeah. have been pretty hot, um, especially for some blue chip players, which I think, you know, if you look prior to 2020, I think the percentages took a pretty a pretty drastic jump, which is interesting to see. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, in some markets, you see people playing for the scholarship. And in some other yeah. markets, you see them playing for entrance. Right into the Mm -hmm. Princeton, the Harvards. Um, And one of the myths, like I think if you think about basketball or football, right, the better basketball, football players, obviously choosing the SEC, right, Pac-12, whatever that is. But in tennis, you know, I I think that, you know, your academics and your tennis have to be like at the top scale to go just because you're not like a bad tennis player if you go to Harvard. You know what I mean? Like the, the kid that goes to Harvard or makes the team, probably could have gone to PCU, right? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Florida or whatever. You know what I mean? And so sure. it is interesting to see the number of people who say, yes, I've spent 30 grand on tennis for the past eight years and I'm still willing to pay for college, right? right? Because I got into Princeton, Harvard, Yale, et cetera. Um, but I think it's a big myth where, you know, the, uh, the United States is so basketball focused. We see Harvard basketball as like, okay, that's everyone that didn't get chosen by the Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigans. Yeah. And it's not the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's different for sure. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So when you think about like the Ivies, right? You see a lot of kids go to East Coast and you think about, you know, COVID obviously changed something with the homeschool, you know, sort yeah, of situation. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. people who never considered that it was possible. We're like, okay, well, we've been living at home for a year and a half and doing online studies. It's not that bad. Right. You know, they were more focused with their time. Did you see more people from families who you thought would not have done it try it post-COVID? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think the really popular thing that a lot of people are doing now is kind of a hybrid schedule, which I actually really like a lot, um, at least in California. I don't know if the schooling system is different everywhere else. I know it was different where I was from. Um, but a lot of these kids, you know, they'll go to school from 8 to 1130 or 8 to 12. And, you know, they have their three hours where, you know, I don't, I don't know how they stagger their classes and stuff like that. But I know that pretty much every kid at every school in SoCal is at least able to do this if they so choose. And so they're able to get released around 12 or something. And, you know, they're able to be at afternoon practice and get a full block in. 
um, you know, for me, that still enables you to, to get the hours you need on court and to be able to maintain some of that social. And, you know, if you become, you know, really, really good, I guess, okay, by junior year, maybe you could consider, okay, maybe I should take this a little bit more seriously. Maybe I should go full-time homeschool. Or, you know, a lot of these kids are, are in a place where it's, you know, I'm comfortable with my tennis. I like where it's at. I feel like it'll give me opportunity in college. Uh, my grades are great. And, you know, maybe that person's a little more academically inclined and, you know, they want to have a career and they feel like tennis is that great stepping stone. Um, which I think is a really cool thing about our sport is it just opens a tremendous amount of doors. I feel like if you figure out how to develop and be a good tennis player and how to compete well in tennis, you can you can apply that to almost everything in yeah. life. Yeah. So you talk about opening doors, right? When Alex or Lerner were sort of deciding whether to walk door, through door number one, which is college, or door number two, which is which is obviously turning pro, Right. how did you advise them? You know what I mean? If I say, hey, you know what? Take a couple wild cards. If you win a round or two, maybe you go to college. If you win a tournament, maybe you stay out there. If if an agency locks you into a deal, right, yeah. then, you know, they normally know what good looks like, and they normally have, like, the ear of the Nike, the Adidas, right? Yeah. Um, then you turn pro. What was your advice in terms of if and when, right, uh, yeah. for those um, guys? Well, they were both in different places. Uh, I'm going to start with Lerner because he's younger and he actually, you know, did a semester in college. Um, you know, Lerner finished high school, I think, when he was 16, 16 and a half. Um, and so obviously your eligibility clock starts, you know, six months after you, you finish your high school. So for him, it was, you know, he was so young. He didn't really have much pro experience at that time. You know, he did great things in juniors. You know, he won Kalamazoo. He got his wild card into the men's that year. And then, you know, he played a little bit of pro kind of, and then, you know, that, that January he went in and, and did a semester at USC, which I think was a good experience for him socially. Um, he had some eligibility problems, which, you know, only let him play about five, six matches toward the end of the year, which was kind of disappointing. And then, you know, he won Kalamazoo again. And so, you know, that was the second trip there. And then, you know, by then he had a little bit more exposure with, you know, agencies and brands and, and kind of, you know, the stuff that you'd like to see that'll actually give you the financial security to kind of, you know, chase your dream and pass up, you know, the the education, I guess, for the time being. Um, so, you know, I felt like that was really the security was a big was a big thing for him. You know, prior to winning Kalamazoo for the second time, um, you know, he still had junior Grand Slams to play. He wasn't playing men's events. So for him being that age, you know, it was, well, you know, I'm not in a massive rush, so why not get a semester in? Um, and I think he had a great time. He really liked it. I mean, he, he speaks pretty positively about the dual matches. Uh, he actually follows college tennis now a little bit more. You know, we will talk about some dual matches, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, I think it gave him some confidence getting to play for a university, getting to represent, you know, seeing that university promote you. I think there's a lot of benefits there and now you know he's got an alumni base you know people talk about oh you know he's a usc trojan and stuff like that you know you see it at all different tournaments you know guys are wearing a usc hat and you know hey learner da 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 and you know i think that that's pretty cool to be a part of you know a big family of people who are proud that you know they can say they played in the same place and then alex alex was uh you know he was a little old for his grade um and he was one that uh he committed and, and, you know, the whole time him and Lerner are kind of, you know, talking and, you know, about going pro and da, 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 you know, obviously it was their dream. Um, 
you know, I just kept telling Alex, you know, I don't want I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it until, you know, it's a real problem. Um, and so, you right. know, he gets to 400 in the world and, you know, it's, yeah, what do you do? You got to 400, you know, it's, it's good. But at the end of the day, you know, you're not, your life's Making not money. changing because you're 400 in the world. Um, right. You know, so he's 400 in the world and he's, you know, saying stuff to me. And I'm like, I could not care less. You're going to college. And then it was, you know, this was probably in January, February, you know, he starts to kind of do a little bit better. And I think at that point I recognized that he was better than a lot of the guys kind of at the challenger level. Um, you know, just from my perspective, I was seeing kind of what it was, what it was to be 300, what it was to be 200. And I think at that point, like February, March, I fully knew that he was good enough to be there and to be winning those matches. Um, but at the same time, you know, having financial security, having set, you know, all of those factors that kind of go into whether I'm going to pass up my education and, and go pro, you know, it's a big decision. And so I remember we were putting it off. I just said, you know, nothing till U.S. Open. I was like, we're not, we're not talking about college till U.S. Open. I said, you know, when we get to U.S. Open, you finish U.S. Open, you have that exposure, you know, we see what happens in those two weeks and then, you know, then we'll kind of make a decision. Uh, but until then, like, don't even think about it, don't talk about it, don't care, you're going to school. And I think that mentality really helped him kind of just play free. Um, he was, you know, I'm not playing to go pro. Um, I'm trying to do my job in school, finish my high school. I'm going to tournaments, playing great, just trying to compete. And, you know, lucky for him, you know, well, I guess it's not lucky at all. That kid worked his absolute tail off. Um, but, you know, he had that success in Chicago at your club. And then, you know, he made that little Newport run. Um, and I think by then that was his third or fourth former top 10 win. And, you know, he won his challenger. He finaled a challenger. He'd semied another one. Um, he had kind of shown and, and, you know, some people had gotten attention and they started believing in him. And so then, you know, that's when that big decision kind of kind of mm -hmm. came. But I feel like for him, he really established himself and proved himself amongst pros, which I think is an interesting thing. Because a lot of the time when you see these juniors kind of go pro sub 18, a lot of the time it's because they had tremendous junior success which then made them, you know, they had grand slam success and stuff like that. But Alex didn't have any of that. Um, you know, Alex was kind of the late bloomer that, you know, in the last year when he was already 18 and aged out of ITFs, the kid really just took it to a new level. And, you know, I, I think he really uh, showed that he's kind of ready for what the tour has to offer. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you talk about learner too, being a young sort of body, right? 16, 17. That's right. six months at USC where you got access to the gym, the trainers. You got six or seven other guys to play against, right? That no matter how good your academy is, right? You know, our academy. Yeah, they're not. They're great, not twenty. But, yeah, they're not twenty. Twenty-two years. Yeah, you don't have yeah. six, seven, twenty-two-year-old grown men, right? Right, in at USC to play practice and challenge matches against all week. You know what I mean? That's of a different sort of opportunity so i think that probably was a a great decision and a very important six months um yeah. from just a practice sort of standpoint For sure. you know what i mean 20 uh, hours a week from, assistant coach yeah. players gym, free shoes yeah. string you know what i mean all <laughs> that stuff that financially yeah. you sort of need to kind of go yeah um, absolutely well last question man so, so tell us what a day in the life is at the academy right for those you know, you got different philosophies, right? Some people do three hours on the court, you know, two hours in the gym, 
some people do six hours on the court, one hour in the gym. What does sort of your day look like for a kid that is quote unquote full time uh, in the program? Right, a full time kid, uh, you know, they show up at 9 a.m. And from the 9 to 10 a.m. block is kind of where we're doing developmental work. Um, most of the kids have, you know, their one or two topics that they're really trying to build on and develop. Uh, we try to keep it to one to two uh, just because, you know, the more time you're kind of investing on one thing, the, the more you're able to kind of get it and can kind of grow and then, okay, on to the next thing. But, uh, you know, that nine to 10 block, we dedicate to that. Usually we're on about three courts normally, and normally we're throwing two to three kids per court. And we're spending an hour, you know, we take turns, but obviously there's, you know, each kid has their focus. There's enough coaches there. And so that's kind of how we do it. And then, you know, the 10 to 12 block, which is right after. So we start with three hours. The first one isn't that physically taxing most of the time, but, you know, the 10 to 12 block is, is where we're trying to get a bunch of reps. Uh, we're going to hit a lot of balls. We're going to hit, you know, straight ahead, ton of neutral hitting. We're also going to do our movement. And, uh, you know, that's, I feel like the block where we're building a ton of patterns. Um, tennis is, you know, it's understanding the spins, it's understanding the direction of ball and all those things, you know, playing a point should kind of feel natural if I understand, you know, the flow of the ball. So I feel like we're doing a lot of force pattern play uh, in those sessions. So it's shot tolerance, force pattern play, um, force patterns into points, which is trying to give us, you know, the kind of the flow during the point that we're looking for, for all the kids. Um, and it's just a time where, again, you know, the reps are really, the reps are non-negotiable. We're going to hit a, a ton of balls. So, you know, again, anything that you're working on in that nine to 10 slot, that 10 to 12 slot where you're trying to apply it, um, is really what we're looking for. And then, you know, in the afternoon we do one to three, we take a break and then we do one to three and it's, you know, it's points, it's, it's surf points. It might be a little more specific depending on who you are. But again, you know, we like to keep the program to where we're at, you know, five to six courts just because it keeps a great coaching ratio between players. We're able to be kind of selective with the players we let in. And it really helps because, you know, the environment eventually starts to kind of do some of the work for you. Um, you know, when the boys are all motivated to really compete against each other, you know, they're talking trash a little bit. You know, they've got something on the line in those games. They actually, it's funny, I, I, I watch them play in tournaments sometimes and then, you know, you watch a sudden death point where, you know, everything's on the line, everybody stops and is watching that sudden death point. You know, they're more nervous and they're more tight to lose that point in practice a lot of the time than they are in an actual match, which I think mm -hmm. is pretty cool. And it kind of, it shows, you know, the environment's good, it's conducive to learning, it, you know, it creates pressure, um, you know, ultimately, which is we're trying to function under pressure which I think is what mm -hmm. tennis is all about. Yeah. 100%. I always say, you know, tennis is not a recital, right? It's not a ballet no. recital. It is a competition, right? And yeah. I think, you know, when you look at some of these players with pretty stroke, pretty game, you know, nice country club bought technique. Sure. Uh, yeah. but, but don't know how to compete and don't, can't perform in front of crowd. That's all I always say. It's, it's, this is not a recital. This is like a competition. Yeah. Right. You yeah, got to figure it out. You got to adjust. Uh, yeah. And I think in the States, we've got to focus on that more. On, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like getting getting all these people with this great stroke that they spend tons of money on to actually manufacture an environment with some pressure and some consequence. Yeah. So those people can become great ballet dancers and become great performers. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's performing and there's playing tennis. You know, there you got to be able to perform. Yes. Period. Yeah. You know, and as yeah. a coach who travels, it's like I'm. I want the person that can perform. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. You know, whatever. So that's 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 just my soapbox. But man, let yeah, me tell yeah, you. I hear you. Um, you, you know, your, your name keeps coming up. I had to get you on the show. I appreciate your time. Obviously, respect what you're doing. I respect that you went all the way to the West Coast, away from the nest, right, to sort yeah. of create your own thing. Um, that's really admirable because you could have just hid and been a UGA assistant your whole life, right, until your dad was ready to give it up. Yeah, um, would have been the easy and, way. Uh, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then congrats on producing, you know, Alex and Lerner. I mean, that's, that's, that's hard. It's hard to do. Hard to get one and like a miracle to get two. So yeah, want to congratulate you and uh, wish you a lot of success. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me. You know, it helps having a great team out here. But, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on, allowing me to talk. You know, you're the man. Appreciate it. All right. This has been a Tennis.com podcast with coach of Alex Mickelson, Learner Tan, son of Manny Diaz. This is coach Eric Diaz at Tier 1 Performance out in California. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Thanks, man.